How long does the baseball season need to be to crown a true champion in 2020? We ask that question and also find out what the heck is going on with Aaron Judge and this new injury we never knew about with New York Post baseball writer Dan Martin. We are also joined by one of the soothing voices in the Yes Network Yankees broadcast booth and a three-time All-Star Ken Singleton. All that and a lot more next on the Pinstripe Pod from the New York Post. Welcome to the Pinstripe Pod, a New York Yankees podcast from the New York Post. I'm your host, Chris Sheeran, alongside my co-host, former Yankee and four-time World Series champion Jeff Nelson. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, where you can rate us five stars and write a nice review. You could also subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Post Dan Martin makes his debut on the show today. We also chat with Yes Network Yankees broadcaster and a World Series champion with the Orioles, Ken Singleton. Let's get it rolling here on the Pinstripe Pod. Certainly, just like everybody else, we, you know, we're locked down. I don't want to even say that I'm in 85-degree weather and playing golf and, and doing that. But thinking about all my friends in New York, especially in the city, a big Broadway guy, have a lot of Broadway friends, a lot of guys in a construction area that builds the sets. They're all off work. And actually, one of my friends just got tested positive for the COVID-19. So he's going, he's on the downswing, no. But thinking about those guys up there, up north, you know, that's my, that's my favorite city. That's my place. And it, it's tough to hear everything going on around the world now well, i'm sorry to hear about your friend uh being diagnosed with covid19 but i'm happy that he's on his way out of it uh but to to start by saying that you're in 85 degree weather and playing golf do, do you hear that that is the smallest violin playing my heart bleeds for you. <laughs> a little wine and cheese i might, I might be having some <laughs> wine and cheese later even though i don't like wine. maybe beer and cheese how about that <laughs> I'm a wine and cheese guy. So there you go. I um, have become a good professional drinker, though. That's something that you, you know, the liquor stores are are, are definitely thriving at this point. Well, they are essential uh, workers, according to New York State. And uh, we're, we're happy to report that the liquor stores are still open in Connecticut as well. So let, let's get into the Yankees. There, there hasn't been a lot of, of stuff going on, obviously, Jeff. But Aaron Judge, some scary news about him came out. Now, we're learning. We're not doctors. We're not speculating here. We're not in the speculation business. We're, we're in the sports talk business. And uh, to hear that one of your biggest stars not only had a cracked rib that wasn't discovered until spring training and it happened in September, but how shocked and, and how taken aback were you, Jeff, when you found out that along with this rib, which doctors are saying is common when you have a cracked rib, you could have a collapsed lung, but how how shocked were you when, that, when you heard that about Aaron Judge? Yeah, very. I mean, it, in some ways you want to see your favorite players and he's one of my favorite players to watch, you know, watching him take batting practices, being out on the field. You want want to see these guys out on the field all the time and and kudos for him for playing through this because he did go and continue to play the rest of September and also into the postseason with this partially collapsed lung and then the fractured rib so you know outstanding job the one thing that I, I would stress is to say something in the winter time if you feel something in the winter this is the time you have to be healthy going into spring training because you look at his history he hasn't been besides his rookie year he hasn't been able to stay on the field red flags start going up and you wonder hey is this guy every dive every run into the wall every hard swing is is something going to happen every time he runs down the baseline you're holding your breath I mean you don't want you don't want to be 
that kind of player. Uh, but in the wintertime, say something. And he said, he, you know, it, things just weren't right when he started ramping up his his workouts. So you have to say something. Spring training's everything. And for his guy to stay on the field, he's one of the key members of this team. And it, I think ever, everything revolves around this guy. And, and, and you just have to say something to get everything fixed, to get ready for this season. I think he's just wired differently, Nelly. I think he's just a, a true throwback player. And this is the way he plays. And we're going to talk about this with Dan Martin of the New York Post and also Kenny Singleton of the Yes Network. Uh, same thing with this judge situation going on with the Yankees. You can never question this guy's toughness. You can never question James Paxton's toughness. He took a shot for his back situation before going out there and keeping the Yankees in the ALCS in game five against the Astros last season. So toughness will never get questioned, but there's a fine line with being, you know, the quote unquote tough guy that New York loves, by the way, and letting the trainers know, hey, you know, I got something going on. You can't be afraid to do that, especially in today's game. And the second thing we have to talk about is the comment that Mariano Rivera made on the Michael K show. He said, I don't think you could play a 60 game season because that's being thrown around out there. And he said, and call yourself a champion. Anything can happen in 60 games. I don't think it's enough. People don't play on all cylinders. The whole teams are different. I don't know. It's a great question but because I don't know what's going to happen if the season is starting in June or July. I tend to agree with Mariano's point of view. What say you, Nelly? I absolutely agree. Anything can happen in a 162-game series. You know, you start out not strong as a team. Uh, I remember in 1995, uh, our first time when I was in Seattle, we were like 14 or 15 games out of first place, and the Angels were in back then. It was the Anaheim Angels. They were in first place, and we wound up making up that whole ground in two months, in August and September, and we played that one-game playoff against the Angels to go to the first division series ever against the Yankees. So anything can happen. 60 games, no way. I don't even know if 100 games is a legitimate season. Whenever baseball resumes, they're going to have to do something. They're going to have to get creative. You know, whatever it is to try to get in as many games as possible. You know, we talked before we did this podcast, maybe go into warm weather situations and and finish up some games there and, and utilize those fans. You know what? You didn't get to see a lot of spring games. Might see some regular games, maybe some postseason games in warm weather to have a legitimate champion. But I absolutely agree with Mo. Well, that was a great point for your 95 Seattle team. And there's also that 2009 Yankees team. Uh, Francisco Cervelli's home run really sparked them. And that was in June or July, if I remember correctly. Yeah. And just last season, the Washington Nationals were playing like hot garbage and then decided to start playing some great baseball and won the World Series. So you never know when teams are going to peak. And with having to re revamp and restart spring training, you don't know what's going to happen. And speaking about catching fire during a season it's time for Nelly's nugget where he goes back in time and tells us a story from his playing days and uh today you're going to tell us about a team that did catch fire that 1998 Yankee squad yeah, just a little bit. And it, this all started in spring training and towards the end. And I think this was when uh, Hideki Arabu was there. And that's when Mr. Steinbrenner came out towards the end of spring and called him a big, fat, pussy toad, if everybody remembers that comment. And it was one, it was he was really hard to get motivated. And he had a hard time. You mentioned, you look at CC Sabathia, how he never covers first base. Well, Arabu never did it either. And back then we thought, you know, Mr. Steinbrenner didn't like it at all. And, and he would go in the backfields and he would take extra fielding practice and do whatever. And we were held 
build up. The last day of spring, we were heading out to California. Most of the time when I was with the Yankees, we always opened up on the West Coast. And we never, I guess, traditionally, the Yankees never really did well on the West Coast. Because then we had a balanced schedule. We went out there twice. You would hit the Angels, then the A's, and then you go up to Seattle and play the Mariners. Well, in 98, we were heading out to San Diego State. We were going to play exhibition games. And everybody wanted the Yankees in their stadium, whether we opened up Houston's new stadium in I think it was in 97 or whatever at Minute Maid Park. Uh, we go to, or 99, whatever it was, we go out to LA and play the Dodgers and Dodger Stadium. So everybody wanted the Yankees right before uh, the season started. So San Diego State wanted us to go out there. So we, we were delayed because everybody was dressed and, and ready. And, and this is when the big fat pussy toad, you had a big, we didn't know what was going on. We didn't know if Arabu was going to be on the plane. Well, whatever happened. So we wind up getting on the plane and we took this, it, it was uh, some Swiss air and it was a cutoff almost like a cutoff 747 it, it was a short one uh, actually it was called Icelandic air with Icelandic air it came from another country so whatever the rules were the FAA whatever you couldn't land in two United States cities so once you landed in Tampa and I think it was St. Pete you had to go to another country to land we couldn't go out to LA or, or San Diego and land there so we wind up having to fly to Tijuana Mexico. So we're on this plane and it was an outstanding plane. The Yankees always do it right. Mr. Starman always do, does it right. So we land in Tijuana. I'd never been there before. Uh, we get on these buses. Uh, we have a play with the Yankees. We had a coaches and media bus and then we had the players bus and the rookies had to get on the, uh, the, the media bus. So we're on the bus and we're driving and we're getting ready to go through. We're getting close to uh, the border. Uh, you know, those Jersey barriers that divide the highways and those big cement Jersey Absolutely. barriers. Yeah. So we go from the airport and we take a hard right turn and these jersey barriers this one jersey barrier was one of those that had a gradual incline up to however they were two feet or whatever the the length maybe three feet so it started at zero and it ramped up to two feet i don't know what this bus driver was doing he wound up driving and this is our players this is the this is the team that won 125 games during the season the bus drives up this jersey barrier the next thing you know the bus starts tipping on its side and i'm looking i'm on one end and right across from me is david wells who was probably 260 at the time it was tipping and we're halfway the coaches are looking back and they're looking back and they're seeing the players bus almost on its side and all the stuff from the tops falling over some of the players are coming over on the other side and next thing you know i don't know how this bus driver did it he drove off of this jersey barrier when we were only on two wheels wow it hits and all of a sudden we stopped everybody's yelling at the bus driver we're probably about a hundred maybe a football field uh, away from the border we tell him to pull over we pull over every single player got off of the bus we got our luggage from underneath and we grabbed whatever we could and, and cleaned up the bus we walked you to walked. the united states we walked to the border and that same bus driver drove with nobody on it we walked to the border and on the other side then we wind up getting on this bus and the whole story was that mr steinbrenner never knew brian cashman was a gm and he might have been in his second year because we had bob watson it might be his first year as a gm and he was on the bus and he was like oh my god my players the 25 man roster is sitting there and almost tipped over right before spring training we're going to san diego san diego state and uh, we wind up doing it and nobody nobody knew back in new york no the media didn't know because i don't think they were on the bus at the time that was only only during the season nobody wrote about it and we had a meeting so 
we got to keep this hush hush. Nobody can find out that we had to had this almost catastrophe in Tijuana, Mexico. Then we go to San Diego State, play the exhibition game. We start one and four. We get swept by the Angels. Then we go to Oakland, lose the first game, and in the papers they wanted Tory's head. Tory's going to get fired. We got to bring in a new manager, especially getting beaten ninety seven. And then what happens? We win one hundred and twenty five games. And then real quick, we were one hundred and twenty five and one hundred and twenty or one hundred and fourteen and forty eight. And at the end, they printed our team picture and they compared us, I think, to the sixty one Yankees when they were they were really good back then. And they put our record as one hundred and thirteen and forty nine. Without us, I just assume we were going to lose the last game of the season. So I have this photograph of the wrong record again, both team pictures with the Yankees of ninety eight and the sixty one Yankees side by side, and they got the record wrong. We wound up winning one hundred fourteen games. And not only that, you guys won the last seven games of the season. You you, yeah. you were twenty two and a half games up in the American League East. You could have coasted into the postseason, but there was no load management back then. A no, no. game winning streak to get you guys into the playoffs. Well, what was incredible is you hear, you know, when the Dodgers had their great run a few years ago and then the Red Sox a couple years ago, they kept comparing, uh, you know, with the 98 Yankees. And I think we were the first team ever to clinch the division as early as we did. Uh, in, it might have been in early September here's some of the records that we that we accomplished back then i don't think it'll ever happen and to win 114 games i was a member of the uh, the mariners when we won 116 but you know everybody oh they're on pace to win 120 just to win 100 games is difficult now to win 114 you realize that wow did we do something special back then yes you absolutely did and you did it after that horrific bus almost accident down there in tijuana what a story uh, i guess the statute of limitations with keeping that hush hush are over after 22 oh yeah well mr Strybetter is not no is no longer and i think we actually told the story one time and, and brian cash said yeah this is my first i think it was his first year as the gm and he says how's this going to work i mean how's yeah. this going all right well uh let's get into everything going on with the yankees today and hopefully there's no bus incidents when the season gets underway in 2020 and let's do that with new york post baseball writer dan martin <laughs> Joining us now is New York Post baseball writer Dan Martin. Read his stories in the Post and at nypost.com. Dan was just down in Tampa with the Yankees. And let me start with this, Dan. The the judge injury story, you and George King tag-teamed a story, I guess, before you came back from Tampa. And and it was scary to learn, for me at least, that he had a collapsed lung, too. Because to me, I'm inferring that if that cracked rib caused that collapsed lung, he indeed was playing with both of those injuries down the stretch and in the postseason last year. So that's kind of a scary proposition for one of the Yankee star players to be playing with, no? Yeah, uh, it, it's tough to say because we we don't know all the details yet. Uh, Judge kind of dropped that on on us uh, the other day, you know, and then didn't get into too many details. So we're not quite sure when it happened. I mean, it stands to reason or it makes sense that they happened on that same diving play in September. Uh, we also don't know the severity. I mean, obviously, a, a punctured lung is a punctured lung. It's not It's not good, but there are different severities of that. And uh, so we, we probably want to find out more information. But yeah, the whole thing is, you know, kind of bizarre. 
that that he was able to play like that down the stretch. I know he said that, you know, it's the playoffs and adrenaline and all that. But what's also interesting, I guess, is that it worked out during the offseason when you would think that that would be the time to to address whatever was going on. So, you know, he said there was some silver lining, obviously, with all this this other terrible news that, that for him and a couple of other guys, they'll be able to uh, to be healthy when the season does start or if it does start. But the journey here has been very strange, I think. Yeah, you know, talk about that a little bit. You know, it, for me, it's interesting. Obviously, it's different now because injuries, you can't hide injuries. You guys find out, you know, what guys have so early. When I played, you could hide them a little bit easier. You know, the trainers would come out and say, hey, let's not talk about this. You know, the, you know a lot of it was secret. A lot, of them, a lot of guys played through things. Now they don't play through things because I think because of contract situation, they'd rather go on the IL and say, hey, you know what? I'm not going to play hurt because of, hey, if I go out in the free agent market, you know, it's going to cost me if I wind up not having a great season. You have to feel this, right? You have to know that something is going on in the winter. I had a similar injury. Well, not similar, but I had an injury with my elbow and all of a sudden I started throwing. I said, I got to say something. I don't want to go to spring training hurt. And I wound up having bone chips taken out and I was ready for spring. Why wasn't this, uh, you know, picked up or why didn't he come out and say something before spring? That's the $64,000 question. I mean, he said that it wasn't that bad and then, you know, kind of went away. And then when he started to uh, increase the work Workload is when it came back. Explanation was initially uh, adrenaline got him through the playoffs, and then the symptoms weren't that bad in the off season. But you know, it kind of feels a little bit similar to uh, to the Paxton thing. You know, where uh, obviously not maybe not as serious because there's no lung involved, but there was an issue in late in the season, and then it reappeared during the off season when he was working, and it still wasn't really addressed until you know spring training had already begun. When you would think that would be addressed. As soon as the season ended, you know, there are some unknowns here and, and you have to kind of rely on the player to, to be honest and forthcoming. And, and that might be something they need to, to deal with. Talk to guys about, about being a little bit more open when they're not feeling right, because there's really no advantage. We all understand playing through injuries in the season, but the, the offseason inaction has been very strange. Just let me say on behalf of, you know, all the fans that count on guys like you and George King and everybody that covers the Yankees down in Tampa, we thank you for being on the front lines. I know you're not down there anymore, but without you, we wouldn't know what was going on down there. So we appreciate you doing that in these uncharted waters we're in right now. Can you just give us a feel of what it was like down in Tampa before you left and before you got out of there? What were, what was some of the team doing down there that was still down there? What, what was it like being down there without being able to cover them the way you normally do? The whole trip was strange. I actually was in St. Lucie with the Mets for about a week, and that was when everything started to come to a head with the coronavirus. When I was with the Mets, that was when we got kicked out of the cult clubhouse, or they changed the uh, the rules there, and that was that was interesting. And then and then everything really uh, picked up after that in terms of all of a sudden the NBA canceled their or suspended their season. Uh, and then I wasn't even actually sure I was going to Tampa because uh, I was going from St. Lucie to Tampa just as games were being canceled. By the time I got to the Yankee camp, we were on the sidewalk outside the outside of Steinbrenner Field, which is basically just trying to, you know, get guys attention in the parking lot and then hoping they'll they'll come and talk to us. So it was a strange situation for everybody. A lot of guys were obviously, you know, Zach Britton obviously said came out and said that they were all going to stay together. Turned out to not be realistic because it just wasn't feasible for for guys to do that. Uh, it was just interesting to see the whole crisis uh, emerge as quickly as it did where 
you know, you would find out some information, whether it was from the team or a player or sources within usually, you know, uh, these things are good for a day or so. Uh, in this situation, it evolves so quickly that one hour to the next, the information that you might have had was not just outdated, but almost irrelevant or wrong. So by the time I get out of there on, on Thursday, uh, there was only probably, I think they said there were 10 guys left, 10 players left. I'm not even sure that there were that many. You know, we didn't really have access to what they were doing. So one of the last days I was there, we talked to Marcus Stems, the hitting coach uh, for the Yanks, and, and he said that uh, Stanton was there and uh, a couple other guys, uh, LeMahieu, that uh, he was working with, but in a different way. You know, he said he had to wear latex gloves and they did. Uh, so, you know, they were trying not to touch the balls very much. So they were trying to keep things as normal as possible, which is what a couple of guys actually said. LeMahieu said being able to work out at Steinbrenner Field, even in a limited capacity, was keeping him sane, you know, with everything else going on. Him and his wife live in Michigan. So uh, they really couldn't, he couldn't do much back home because the weather wouldn't let him. And I guess he doesn't have, you know, no really has access to gyms anymore unless you have one in your house just because of the the restrictions there so uh every day it was more and more limited in what they could do and and it just became more and more clear that there wasn't much reason for them to stay you know it seemed like they couldn't do very much down there and more and more people were going home and you know at, at, honestly when we were hanging out down there we, you had one eye on what they were doing and another eye on you know, on trying to get home because just the the situation was devolving pretty quickly. And you, you know, you mentioned, uh, I think earlier, whether guys were flying home or driving home, you know, so there were, there was concern about getting out of there, you know, and you, and you don't want to be stuck away from home, whether you're a player or a writer or a coach and executives. Dan Martin from the New York Post. Thank you so much for your time, Dan. Once again, you could read his stuff at nypost.com. Please, Dan, you and your family stay safe. And thank you for coming on with us today. Thanks, guys. Good talking to you. Joining us now is a three-time All-Star and World Series champion with the Orioles and the wonderful Yankees in-game color commentator and play-by-play as well on the Yes Network, the great Ken Singleton. You could follow Ken on Twitter at 29AllTime. Ken, thank you for giving us some time during these trying times here around the world. Yeah, Chris, uh, Jeff, good morning. I uh, hope you guys are doing well. Uh, just uh, want to wish everybody out there who's uh, listening to this podcast to Certainly, uh, all the best wishes. You said follow the guidelines, and uh, you know when we finally get started with baseball again, uh, hopefully everybody's there to, to enjoy it. Just hearing your voice should give baseball fans everywhere a little bit of a sense of calm because it, it, your voice is synonymous with that. And I can't wait till it comes back in a baseball capacity. I'm sure everybody else can either. But the first thing I want to hit you with is this: we don't know when baseball is going to come back. I can't ask you when you think it'll come back because no one knows how this is going to play out with what's going on right now but I can ask you about what Mariano Rivera said he said I don't think you could play a 60 game season and call yourself a champion anything can happen in 60 games I don't think it's enough what do you think about what Mariano said there Ken yeah I, I kind of agree with him I, I, I think that uh, one thing about baseball is the true endurance race I think Jeff would agree with me that during the course of a long season there are ups and downs uh, teams have to go through injury situations the Yankee fans know that from last year with the Yankees and they still prevail so I, I think 60 games is not really a true test we've had the abbreviated seasons before you know I played through a strike season in which there were two halves that was back in 1981 of course there were other shortened seasons maybe 
not quite as short as that uh, because of strike and lockouts and that sort of thing. Fortunately, we haven't seen much of that over the last 20 years, but uh, years ago when I was playing, it was almost like an every other year situation. I do think that you can have a represented season if you get over 100, but if you get down near 60, I'm, I'm not so sure that uh, that would be a true test. Yeah, I agree, Kenny. You know, in 95, when we came back from the strike in 94, we played 144 games, and I, you know, I thought, okay, that would that was good enough. You know, we could probably crown a champion back then. Uh, even a hundred games is pretty tough, but sixty, there's no way that I think that you can crown a champion with sixty games. Talk about eighty-one, just a little bit. The split season. How many games did you guys totally play? Well, we missed fifty-one days, and uh, different teams missed a different amount of games uh, because of the way the schedule was set up. But even then, it was kind of a weird season, Jeff. The, the thing is that uh, it, the season was split into two halves. And of course, I was playing with Baltimore at the time. And if the if the season had been uh, stopped two days earlier, we would have been in first place. We played two more games. We lost them both. And uh, we ended up in second place in the first half. And then we ended up in second place in the second half and didn't qualify for the playoffs. We probably had more wins than the team that went. It was kind of, it was really weird. I, I wouldn't wish that on anybody again or uh, that situation for baseball again. Uh, I, I remember uh, yeah, 51 days in the middle of the summer. The first game back was the All-Star game. And that was played in Cleveland in front of 85,000 fans at Old Municipal municipal stadium and the fans are really upset they were booing and blowing whistles and but i think in the end we had a, a very good game it was a very competitive game uh, the national league won i think it was a five to four score and uh i think at the end of that game everybody was just happy to have baseball back rolling again although during the course of the summer there when we weren't playing i didn't think we were going to play and my first half was much better than my second half but they only gave us 10 days to get ready to play <laughs> that wasn't that wasn't much time to get to after 51 days to get ready again. well here's a here's an interesting question then and it is a good segue that you know you look at it they just had spring training and i want to know how tough this is because you know we went on strike in 94 and we worked out for the first couple of weeks, and then all of a sudden I had Ken Griffey Sr. as one of our coaches in Seattle, and he just said, you know what, we're not going to wind up playing this thing. We're going to shut it down. They're not going to have a postseason. And, and I was with them, him quite a bit almost every day, him and his son, Ken Jr. And, you know, that would have been difficult coming back, but that was even later in the year. You look at this year, they had spring training about five weeks all of a sudden they're shutting it down and they're going to have to get it going again. How difficult was that for you? As a hitter, it's got to be a little bit different. For pitchers, I'm, I'm really concerned about some injuries happening, especially when they come back after starting again. Yeah, I would be too, Jeff. I, I think what they're, they're going to have to do is they're going to have to, uh, you know, add some extra roster spots for pitchers so that starters won't have to eat up as many innings as uh, normal. And you might see the first few games back treated like spring training games and uh, where the pitchers, you know, go a limited amount of innings uh, before they're able to lengthen themselves out. I, I just, this, this is going to be very interesting. I mean, the, the whole situation itself, not only with baseball, but with the whole country is kind of uh, tenuous at this point. So it, it's going to be uh, it's going to be difficult for all aspects of life in the United States, let alone baseball. How worried are you about Judge? You know, you can't really get on him for the the broken wrist, uh, getting hit by a pitch, but it just seems like he he can't stay on the field, and no one's going to ever question his uh, strength or his willingness to be on the field because we hear about this collapsed lung. He was probably on the field playing with this broken rib and collapsed lung down the stretch and in the playoffs last year. No one's going to ever 
or question this guy's toughness, but it just seems to be injury after injury with him. Yeah, at this point, uh, we hope that, uh, you know, maybe the good thing is that there there is a delay here. He can uh, get completely healthy along with some of the other Yankees uh, outside of Severino, who's going to miss the whole year. And maybe the Yankees will be whole by the time we get going again. Judge was injured on a play where he went all out to make a play in the outfield. This is the way he plays. Uh, hopefully he can remain healthy from this point on because we know what he means to the Yankee lineup. I, I thought, you know, the way they were talking about it uh, during the course of spring training, I had a feeling it was worse than what they were saying. And, or, you know, the, the diagnosis was at the time, and eventually they found out, you know, he had a, a fractured rib, and now we find out he had a, a collapsed lung, a partially collapsed lung. That's pretty tough to come back from under any circumstances, let alone they're trying to play baseball. I, I Hopefully this, this will be over with. He'll be completely healthy. He can give us uh, as many games as the Yankees play this year. I, I know in this day and age, uh, players have a tendency to get days off more so than when I was playing. But he, but even so, you know, he's, you're right. He's missed a lot of time. And fortunately for the Yankees, they, they've had other people step up and uh, get the job done. Yeah, and it's hard. It, you know, Kenny, you know this more than anyone being an outfielder and right fielder. It's hard to tell somebody to back off. If this is the way you play, this is the way you play. You can't sit there and say, hey, you know what? I don't want you diving after balls. I don't want you running into walls. These are, this is how guys play. You can't just sit there and say, hey, dial it back a little bit. He's an all-out type of player. I mean, he's out there to win. He's very competitive, but like we all were, Jeff. You know, I, I wasn't as athletic as him, so I wasn't really diving and doing stuff like that. You know, one thing our manager used to tell us early, we used to say, keep the ball in front of you. <laughs> so if you're going to dive and miss it, it's going to go behind you and he's not going to be happy. So uh, we had a tendency to play it safe and keep a double play in order and that sort of thing. But there are times when you do have to let it all out, maybe with two outs trying to make a play. I just think that uh, Aaron is due for a, a, a long stretch of health. And uh, I, hopefully that it'll come over the next, uh, for the remainder of his career, where the only time he's out of the lineup is for a day off here and there. Yankee fans obviously are missing Aaron Judge. They're missing everybody on this team. They're just missing baseball in general. What goes along with that is missing this yes network booth as well not just because i work for the yes network but i think we pretty much have the best in the business at what we do you know with you michael k paul o'neill john flaherty david Cohn. Uh, it's just such a special team in there with Meredith Morakovitz as well, Jack Curry in the mix, uh, Bob Lorenz in studio. It's just so well-rounded all across the board, all across our Yes Network talent team. Just what is it like to be in that booth working with these talented people so, uh, throughout the year? You know, it, it, it not only people in the booth, it's people behind the scenes that are uh, everybody's at the top of their game, Chris. I mean, everybody. It's been such a pleasure. And I've been here since the beginning, 19 years. And I've just seen Yes grow into the you know, number one regional sports network in the country. When you know that everybody's got your back, when, when you go in the booth and work with these guys, and I'm going to throw Jeff in there because I did a series with Jeff in Arizona last year. and He was excellent. He, he was fantastic. And uh, I, I just think that uh, when you you have the confidence in your partner that if you don't know something, they do or they can speak on the subject. If you can't speak on it as much as they can, uh, it, it makes for a very comfortable booth. And like I said, everybody's at the top of the game. We all work hard. There's no doubt about it. And we just have to get the information out there. The Yankees are a great team to cover. You know, I've been here uh, with the Yankees now for 20, this is my 24th season. I had a winning record every single year. So that makes it fun 
to go to the ballpark. I, I can't imagine covering the last. Well, I did games in Montreal, and a couple of times you weren't very good. And uh, it wasn't as much fun as I've been having over the years here. So kudos to everybody, you know, and from John Filippelli all the way down, our executive producer, who puts this all together. And he's a pretty good leader. You know, we've we got some tough times going here, and he's already had a couple of conference calls to try and get, boost, the, boost the morale of everybody and keep everybody going. So there are certain things that I think we're going to do as a Yes Network to uh, try and keep the Yankees in the forefront while uh, while we're uh, you know waiting for all this uh, virus to subside and we can get back to you know, normal life. Yeah, Kenny, I couldn't agree with you more, and I couldn't agree with uh, you know the mo- the best person to break me in with the Yes Network and having you as a partner. And I told you when we were doing the games, I said, you know what? I grew up in Baltimore, and I was a big Oriole fan, and I, I was I was a good switch hitter in, in wiffle ball in my backyard when I was Ken Singleton and Eddie Murray and. <laughs> And all that, but we're going to go back on your playing games. I remember 1979. I remember the World Series sitting on my couch against the Pittsburgh Pirates, and they had the you know the, the funky uniforms, the funky hats. I want to know who beat you out for the MVP. I saw you were second. I mean, you had your best year probably in your career then in 15 years. Who beat you out that year? It was uh, Don Baylor, the late Don Baylor, who was uh, a, a friend of mine because he was a teammate of mine with the Orioles when I first got traded over to Baltimore, and he was one of a fantastic teammate. Uh, I'll tell you guys a story during the uh, before the votes came out for the MVP Major League Baseball sent an all-star team over to Japan to play and Baylor and I were on the team and uh, we flew back to Los Angeles uh, from Japan together sitting next to each other on the plane knowing that the next day one of us would be the MVP of the American League and it was him you know we didn't talk about it at all the whole flight back we didn't mention it at all you know if I was going to lose to somebody he he was the guy I was going to lose to I, I think but I will say this, in my defense, I think in, if you go by the modern-day metrics, I think I would have won. I know he led the league in runs batted in, which was big in those days, but nowadays they really really get into the meat of the statistics. And I think that when you look at some of the other ones that uh, they go by now, like on-base percentage and uh, OPS plus and all that sort of thing, I, I think I might have been able to win it or it might have been closer. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I was very happy for Don. He was a great teammate and certainly one of the better players the best, voted the best player in the American League that year. You know, I had some other years where, you know, one year I finished third. Yeah, Carew was, uh, <laughs> Rod Carew won that year. And uh, let's put it this way. I, I finished third in the batting race that year, and I was 60 points behind him. <laughs> oh, my God. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> my goodness. Well, that's 79. You're 35 homers, 111 RBIs. You hit 295, and I saw that you led an intentional walk. You know, obviously, I think, what was Baylor with the Angels then? Yeah, he was. Uh, and you know, another thing, Jeff, is that uh, we had the best team that year. We won 102 games in the league, and we beat the Angels 9 out of 12 during the regular season. So I thought those numbers would come into play, but obviously, the, you know, they didn't, not as much as I would have liked them to. He was able to win, and then we beat them in the playoffs as well. I know the playoffs don't count towards the MVP voting. You know, we beat them in the playoffs as well. And if you look at what I did in the playoffs in the World Series that year, you know, it was a good year overall, even through the postseason. Ken, you, you told me uh, a story and I always mess it up when I try to tell family members but it was a a Nolan Ryan story about someone walking back past you in the on deck circle if you could just take us through that because that's one of my favorite stories you've ever told me well um uh, I think uh you know 
players back in the day would agree that Nolan was the uh, most uncomfortable pitcher to face. It's, most pitchers, the starting pitchers went deeper into games then, and most pitchers would, their seventh and the eighth inning fastballs were not like their first or second or third inning fastballs. But you'd face him in those innings. He was throwing harder in the latter part of the game than he was in the first part of the game. I, I had struck out, and I'm walking back for the dugout. And I think it was Eddie Murray or Terry Crowley or somebody. And I said to him, don't take your game helmet up there. <laughs> If he hits you, it's just going to explode. He struck me out uh, the second most of any pitcher. And even though I hit 300 against him, I was 12 for 40. 16 of the outs were strikeouts. And it's just, I don't feel bad about it because uh, he struck everybody out. That, that was just the way he got out. Fortunately for us, he had a tough time with the Orioles because we had a lot of guys who would walk. And while Nolan struck out the most, he also walked the most guys. And it seemed whenever somebody got a hit off him, which was, you know, could be very rare during a game, we would score a run because he had walked a couple. And uh, that, that, uh, that is why he didn't have a good record against us. Kenny, I got one more. Uh, I want to ask you about Earl Weaver. I played for, you know, obviously watching him in his stands and his antics and what kind of manager. I saw something on, on I don't know if maybe it was the MLB Network, a story about Billy Martin. And, and then uh, it was very interesting to me. And I played for a similar guy in Lou Pinella, I think learned from Billy. And I always tell Lou, I said, you know what, playing for you got me ready for New York because he was so intense and and he you know for some reason he didn't like pitchers too much but uh you know I always told him I said you know what my success is because of you and me playing for you what was it like playing for Earl I mean did you like him did you did he make you a better player or what was it it was an interesting situation because there, there you can't manage like that anymore there's, there was too much cursing and profanity and uh, was, you know Earl was uh, very unique although he got the most out of his players I, I will tell you this he did make us better players because he made us focus on a daily basis and if you didn't uh, he, he would let you know about it and he'd embarrass you in front of the whole team right right in the dugout I remember uh, dropping a fly ball in Chicago an easy fly ball and the White Sox didn't score so I felt good when I came back to the dugout that uh, you know they didn't score you know there weren't any unearned runs scored because of this pop up on an easy fly ball that I dropped they all walked down the length of the dugout and said what are you doing and I said uh, I dropped the ball I got no excuses they didn't score Earl and he, he, he just kept after me in front of everybody and I I was starting to get a little warm. You know, I, wait a minute. They didn't score. And finally, I said, Earl, I got to hit this inning. Why don't you leave me alone? And he thought about it. He said, oh, oh, yeah, go ahead. Go up and hit. He, he knew what was really important. But he he would not tolerate the game not being played correctly. Uh, when we were doing drills in spring training, if we weren't doing them right, he would say, we'll be out here all day. If you want it that way, that's the way we're going to do it. We'll be out here all day till we get this right. He would yell and scream at anybody on the team. Uh, the guy who got it the most was Rick Dempsey because he was a catcher. And anytime the other team came up with a big hit. It seemed to be always Rick's fault that he called the wrong pitch. Demper's retort was, they didn't throw it where I wanted it to be thrown. And uh, but Earl would stay after him. It was sort of comedic in a way. It was an everyday thing. Earl hated umpires. The umpires hated him. Sometimes I felt we were playing against thirteen guys. I wouldn't trade those days for anything. I mean, we won games. There, there was, you know, I was there for ten years. We averaged over ninety wins a year. I played Earl there for eight of them. We got to a World Series with him. You know, I, I, he turned me and helped turn me into an All Star player. You were on your P's and Q's when you got to the ballpark, and we played the game right. I mean, those teams Jeff would tell you, even though it was a, as a youngster, we had good pitchers, we had good defense, we had guys who come up with big hits and hit home runs. That's the way Earl liked it, and those were the Orioles back in the day. I remember Kenny and. I, I like Earl even more because I always thought it was the catcher's fault too when I got hit. It was they put down the wrong fingers. 
know, he had good defense too because you did those drills and, and he wasn't satisfied. And that's why there was so much good defense back then. Yeah, that's true. And one thing that fans do not experience as much now with all the reviews and replays uh, and uh, the decisions made by uh, – you know, TV replays is that the arguments that uh, Earl Earl is famous for those, and of course you can watch them on YouTube or watch them online or, or wherever and see an Earl Weaver argument. And I, I looked at those; he, he was he could stay after the 15 minutes after being tossed out of a game. Uh, I can recall one day I was DHing and he argued about something, and of course Earl was a heavy smoker, and he came back to the dugout and he was huffing and puffing, and he looked at me and said, "I can't stay out there as long as I used to." <laughs> 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 He's already been thrown out of the game, and he was sitting on the bench. The umpire had to make sure he left. As it was, it was a lot. there were there were other, a lot of things with him that uh, you know some things we can talk about, some things we can't. But uh, it was an experience every single day. It was really made whole by the fact we won so many games. It would have been intolerable if we weren't a good team. It, it just, you just couldn't take. But on a good team where we won most of the time, you could put up with it. I guess, uh, you know, the fans in the front office people. Earl, Earl would argue with uh, the general manager. Uh, the year that Eddie Murray made the team, uh, the GM, it was Hank Peters, and he wanted to send Eddie to, back to the minor leagues that he needs more experience. Earl told him, if that kid is not on the team, I am not going to manage the team. Wow. And, uh, and he got his way, and Eddie was going to be the year, and, of course, uh, went on to be a Hall of Famer. So Earl knew what he was talking about. Kenny, we can't thank you enough for coming on and sharing some memories and, and some thoughts about what's going on in the world today. Uh, just hearing your voice, as I said when we started, I know it gives me a sense of calm. On our conference call that you talked about earlier this week, I was like, oh, there's Mr. Singleton. Everything's going to be okay. So we, we really appreciate you coming on and sharing some time and sharing some stories. And please, you and your family, stay safe. Yeah, I would wish that on everybody who gets a chance to hear this and uh, if, you know, just pass along that, uh, you know, we are going through some tough times here and, you know, people might feel a little, you know, uh, claustrophobic being locked in or in their homes and uh, being quarantined, so to speak. But uh, eventually we'll get over this. You know, just uh, if you follow the guidelines, baseball will be back and, uh, you know, we'll get to enjoy ourselves once again. So uh, you guys will be safe, your families as well, and uh, we'll see you as soon as possible. That's a wrap for episode three of the Pinstripe Pod, our New York Yankees podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to our producer, Jake Brown, for producing the show. Make sure to subscribe to the Pinstripe Pod on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Rate us five stars, write a nice review, if you will, on Apple. For Jeff Nelson, I'm Chris Sheard. Stay safe, everybody. We'll talk to you next Monday.